0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Everybody, it's your smoking nephew, Blaze and Rye, and you're checking in to the Blaze and Rye Radio program on Monday, <clears throat> January thirteenth, twenty fourteen, at eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. Oh, we have such a great show. We have Matt Bork from the rock band Yuka, And we also have, let me get it out of the way now so I don't, you know, pronounce your name for the first time later. Uh, from the Pink Floyd tribute, Mob Town Moon, we have Sandy Assyriatham, Asir Assyr, Assyriatham, Asiriath uh, yes, Assyrvatham, that's a V, not a Y, damn it, Holmes, what's wrong with you,
2: Assyrvatham,
1: Sandy Assyrvatham from Mobtown Moon, all right, so in the meantime... Um if you're checking in to the program on your computer, what you can do is join the chat room down at the bottom of the screen just by logging into your Blog Talk Radio, Facebook or Twitter account. Won't cost you anything and you get to interact with us and it's a wonderful thing. Um speaking of Twitter and Blaze Rye Radio, uh the Shorty Awards have come about again. And uh I uh as as your host as the kind of the, the Kate Mulgrew of the Enterprise, if you will, uh, have been nominated for Podcaster. So if you would, would you please go over to ShortyAwards.com slash blazen rye at oh my god, I can't even spell the name. B-L-A-Z-I-N-R-Y. ShortyAwards.com slash and nominate me under Podcaster. Um I was going to nominate my Wednesday backstage co-host, Jonathan Weeks, for Best Post, but alas, he has not a Twitter account. See, this is where people without Twitter accounts, people who think they're too cool for Twitter, too school for cool kids, really kind of rub me the wrong way, because every year these Shorty Awards come along, and I ask like a million people to go vote for me for this thing, and I do it under the assumption that they have Twitter already, because... It's awkward to ask otherwise, like, can you vote for me, but you need to do this first, you need to have this first. So I'm just like, can you vote for me? And then they say yes, and then they discover later on that they can't because they don't have Twitter. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe I should tell them right off the bat that they need Twitter because I think I'm adding a few extra steps in there for my friends and uh, listeners and followers. So, uh, shortyawards.com slash blaze and rye nominate me for podcaster right now. I was at number seven, and now I'm coming in at number uh, eight or something. Actually, let's check it. While I have you here, and as Michael Scott would say, I and I not that I have you, i butchered it. All right, ShortyAwards.com podcaster. Let's see who's coming in. Uh, as the website loads, I am now at number eight. With thirty nine nominations, come on now, thirty nine—that's bleak. All right, now we could take over that number one slot because this this guy has one hundred forty one, so that's not too many. All right, so hit hit that up, shortywords dot com slash blazin um, and uh, you may have noticed that my, my co hosts are missing. Uh, T- Tamika is uh, apparently at some tribute to the Who show, which I guess is appropriate since we're talking about a tribute to Pink Floyd on our show, uh, but she's staying with somebody or something in Brooklyn or something, and I don't know. She's such a nomad, that one. She's all over the place, but she is the one and only Broadway medic, so I, ho- I hope that she's saving people's lives. In lieu of her being here, I decided to start the show off very Mark Maroney, uh, and just talk to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we have a new website up, finally up after three and a half years of doing the show. You need only not go to blogtalkradio.com slash rye. Now we have an official com. So hit that up, com. And hey, while you're there, don't you hate buying razors? Isn't it the most annoying, most expensive thing? And also, for me personally, I can never remember if I have a razor there or not. So then I always ask the clerk at the Dwayne Reed, can I get a razor? And then they'll start giving me the blades. And I'm like, no, I need the actual razor. And then, of course, I get home and I find uh, that I do have a razor. And I could have just gotten the blades. But then the blades would have been even more expensive. But then I open the razor. And then there's only one blade in there. And say I got a big Grizzly Adams, Jerry Garcia type Mr. Shagrew beard. What am I going to do then? I can't shave that off with the one thing. And I can't do an electric shaver because that irritates my skin. Although with the plastic on, it's not so bad. But if it's just the metal on my skin, ain't nobody got time for that. My point is, when you're at blazingryeradio.com and you're surfing through our website on the various pages such as the backstage and the about and the contact and all that, you will see advertisements for Dollar Shave Club. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the future of shaving. Actually, you don't need to wait until the future. You can get it right now. You can pay a dollar a month for razors and, you know, no questions asked. You don't need to go and confuse the store clerk getting the uh, mock dust butter turbo three power with wings or anything like that. You can just go right in say, hey, go right up to the website and click the, link, the links, rather, because there are a few, for Dollar Shave Club. Um, It it is so wonderful to have them as our affiliates, and I hope you will uh, continue to peruse the website from time to time and see the lovely offers that we have there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really hate buying razors, because buying razors just sucks. All right, what else is going on? Oh, the Golden Globes last night, Um, I don't know about you guys, but... uh, uh, when when they announced that Andy Sandberg won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy, I thought I was losing my damn mind. And then when they announced Best Comedy and uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine won over Modern Family and Parks and Rec, I thought I had gone to another planet. Uh, it, 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 congratulations to him and to them. The, the show is very impressive. You have kind of the the heavyweights, or maybe there's just one heavyweight, that Modern Family show, although. I feel like lately it's kind of less funny. Um, And then then there's this little show, this little Fox show that could, with the guy who used to be on SNL that nobody thought this show would last, and everyone at the James Franco roast made fun of him, saying that, you know, that show's going to last about three weeks. And now he's the winner of a Best Actor Golden Globe, (laughs) and the show won for Best Show. So that's fucking crazy. Um, hey, hey, congratulations to my friends Walida and John. They are getting married, uh, and I got what I thought was the invitation in the mail, and if it was the invitation, props to them, because that would have been amazing, but this is just to save the date, and it says, it's, all it says is, Walida, it's a- oh, and it's just a postcard to it. it says, Walida, period, John, period, getting hitched, period, and, you know, getting with the apostrophe at the end, and it says, save the date, and it gives the date. Middletown, Connecticut, invitation on its way soon. So I'm a groomsman in this wedding, and and I'm I'm working on on a piece called Always a Groomsman um, because I don't know how many times I've been a groomsman at this point, but it's somewhere between five and 500, and um, sometimes I'm the best man. That's that's the most fun because I get to make the speeches, and I rap the speeches, and you can check that out on the YouTubes if you want on the on our YouTube
2: channel. Um <clears throat> but being a groomsman or a best man
1: requires a bit of hell to go through. And I know that we've talked extensively on not only this program but the backstage program with John Weeks about how we had a very traumatic experience with a bachelor party where we went to go bird watching and I don't mean that in a metaphoric sense I mean we literally went to Forsyth National Park outside Atlantic City New Jersey Uh, we were in Jersey too so there's that looking at birds you know that happened and every time I think about that every time we think about that we have these um, post-traumatic stress kind of anxiety attacks Uh, now John my The groom here of John Walia, who sent to save the date that I got in the mail today, he's a pretty calm and quiet guy. I've known him since kindergarten. Um, so I've known him, what, how, how many, like 26 years or something. And um, I was never very good at math. But he's a quiet, reserved, kind of shy kind of guy. And his, the groomsmen that he's chosen are batshit crazy. Um, and a few of them are are very close friends, and then there's another guy that uh, is not. Um, And uh, I don't know who's worse, because it's... Okay, here's the deal. John called the other day. We're talking about tuxedos and where they're getting... They're not getting them from Men's Warehouse. Thank God, because that place... If I have to go to Men's Warehouse one more time, I'm going to lose my damn mind. Um, They're always horrible. If anyone out there has had some experiences with Men's Warehouse and cares to share them, please tweet at me at Blazin' Rye.
2: Um,
1: Or call in on Wednesday to Blazin' Rye backstage uh, and tell me. So, uh, John's not doing Men's Warehouse, for which I'm thankful. However, uh, before we got off the phone, I said, uh, and, and who's the best man? Whom should I contact about the bachelor party? And he said, Jason. That's my friend, Jason, from New Haven. Um, I said, okay, I didn't think anything of it. I said, all right, well, when, is, when is that going to be, you know, we're trying to figure that out, whatever. So uh, John, the groom, then asks me for my backstage co-host Weeks' his phone number. So I give it to him, and he texts Weeks about the wedding and about how he doesn't know about the bachelor party yet and what it's going to be. And so Weeks starts getting a panic attack that he is a member of the wedding party which he was never asked to be or anything. So, you know, after the last one that we went through, I don't think he wanted to go through that again. Um, Although he and I both tend to be groomsmen a lot. Uh, Weeks is like king groomsman. So um, it's weird. You have a friend who doesn't shower for like 20 years, and and he's everyone's best friend. Ah, That's really a testament to his personality that he can actually, like, make friends while reeking up the entire place. Um, I'm kind of digging this Mark Marony vibe I got going on here. I might just talk and ramble on every show. Um, I hear, I hear you right now saying, no,
2: no, please don't, Ryan, please
1: don't. Where's Tanika? Um, (laughs) the truth is, I don't know. I don't know where she is. My point is, Holmes, that, uh, Weeks starts texting me, am I in the wedding party? I don't even know. And uh and I was like, No, I don't think so. And then he says John said that the, what is he talking about, the Bachelor Party? It might be in Jamaica or um or uh like uh what was the other place that he said it was something like the Caribbean or something. So let's just say that for now. So he said, either Jamaica or somewhere in the Caribbean and uh and I was like, What? And then John Weeks inadvertently gave me a panic attack by texting me that because I figured if Jay was doing a bachelor party and everything that oh, we know about everything about bachelor parties that, you know, maybe it would be local. It wouldn't be extravagant. It's for John, Robert Wallace Murphy, who is so calm and quiet and he would never, like, you know, do anything crazy on a bachelor party anyway. So, so then I started having a panic attack. And then that, la- that led to me in Weeks saying this this could be worse than the last bachelor party, and how this is probably going to cost like he said fifteen hundred easy, and I was like well didn't the last one cost like three thousand a piece? Um, so I'm a little stressed out, if you can't tell, I'm a little stressed out about that uh, bachelor party. Um, I also don't know what the hell I would be doing. Um, you know, everyone else would probably be getting wasted. And uh, at this point, I am, uh, how many days? Nine days sober and not looking to go back to that lifestyle. Um, so oh, I'm a little stressed out. I'm a little stressed out about that. Uh, so I'm kind of, you know, dreading this bachelor party. Um, and I didn't put it together that it could be like a destination bachelor party, which I've always viewed as kind of rude, you know, like you're my friends, I'm going to have you do all this stuff, pay for all these tuxes and do all this shit. Um, but you're going to pay a whole lot more so that I can go where you want to go and what not. And uh by the way, I'm very distracted now because I see one of my colleagues made his profile picture. Made oh, made our picture, his profile picture. Oh my god. Uh that's so sweet. Uh my colleague Matthew. Oh, that's a great pick. Uh uh Oh God, I'm having a moment here. Oh boy. Oh, she looks so beautiful. Jessica, that is. And Matthews and my ties match. Uh okay. All right. Whew. Whew. See, see, when things <laughs> things are going badly, something comes along to cheer me up. Um, I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out about this. So also, I just said nine days sober, and I'm also doing this diet. And the other night, you know, uh, my friend was kind enough to uh, escort me to a, a meeting and she was talking about how when you want to, uh, after the meeting, when you want to get sober, um, don't worry about, like, being, like, everyone wants to be really skinny and stuff and you have this kind of fantasy of doing both at the same time. And she was like, don't worry about that because, you know, the the sugar that was in the alcohol needs to be replaced. So you're going to want, like, a Snickers and you're going to want a soda and whatnot. And at that point, I had already been on this diet for three days, and I had, had, I had a tremendous headache on this particular day because, I think because of the diet, I don't think it was necessarily because of alcohol withdrawal, but I think it was because of just normal food withdrawal um, and eating so little every day. Uh, so, um, by the way, I don't advocate eating too little each day, but it is a, a very rigid diet. So she tells me that, and immediately what's going through my head is it's like it's Friday night. I can go home and order Domino's and just – I know, right? I live in Brooklyn and ordering Domino's. What, a, what an idiot. But, uh, but it tastes so good. I mean, it's gross, but it tastes so like buttery and nasty and good. Um, there's one right on the corner like a block away, and uh, I've gone there way too much. Or, well, they've come here way too much. I've gone there sometimes, you know, with that deal that they have Mondays through Thursdays where you can get like a large ass pie for uh, like seven bucks or something. Anyway,
2: <laughs>
1: my point is, I have really been trailing off tonight. I want Weeks I want John Lee to hear this so that he can critique <laughs> my my Babylon tonight, my Hollywood Babylon, if you will, my Brooklyn Babylon. Shout out to Kevin and Ralph Garmin there. So, um. She tells me, you know, that, that you need to replace the sugar with something, from, you know, the, from the alcohol. So that was my thought. But then I did not do that. So I, I was like, I willed myself into sticking to this diet, right? So that was Friday um, after a meeting. I don't, you can guess what kind of meeting it is. Um, it's one of those anonymous ones. So then the next day, Saturday, I'm uh, – I'm I'm at my friend Brandon's uh, apartment and we're just hanging out and I'm drinking club soda or seltzer um, and it's fine and I had some coffee there as well. You know, anything but alcohol. I had a diet wild cherry Pepsi in the fridge, which I'm actually drinking now, which I know is no good, Mike Torito. I know it's got the high fructose corn syrup and it's not good for you, etc. But... uh, on this diet that I'm on, you are allowed to drink as many diet uh, soft drinks as you want, anything with zero calories in it, and also any, like, fruits or vegetables and stuff that that are, uh, you know, really low in calories, like cucumbers, spinach, whatever. Um, so Saturday night, while I'm at Brandon's, and I'm drinking the club soda, and they're drinking wine, um, I, you know, I, I avoided the temptation of drinking alcohol, and that wasn't so hard. But at one point, his girlfriend ordered a uh, grilled cheese, and I got, like, the biggest craving. It was bigger than the Grand Central newsstand. I got such a big craving for this, uh, for, to have a grilled cheese on Saturday night. And I, I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? I got to talk myself out of this because I had already had, like, very, way earlier that night, I already had everything that I was meant to eat under the guidelines of this rigidly strict diet. Um, So I went home and uh, somehow avoided uh, ordering, you know, seamless. Uh, I don't know exactly. I, I can't remember what the hell I exactly did. I wish I did because, all right, what happened? I got on the train. I went back. It was raining. I forgot my umbrella at Brandon so I was wet. And then I I uh I don't know. But I didn't order a grilled cheese, which I would have ordered like four of with fries and everything. Anyway, um we have uh Matt York uh sorry, <laughs> Matt Bork from Yuka coming up. So I'm gonna go ahead and play one of their songs. In the meantime go check out Blaze and Rye Radio and go buy some razors. Alright. Uh this is Yucca with uh uh Uh, uh, let me see Uh, I'm alive she said Yuka Music. Um, Thanks for sticking around. Not sure where our friend Matt is, but uh, we'll be sure to make this up to you Um, another time, uh, perhaps with another band (laughs) that honors its interview commitments. Um, Speaking of uh, bands and interview shows, there's uh, years ago, my friend um let's call him jason he uh <clears throat> he was friends with a kid named uh Derek, and uh Derek was in a successful hardcore band i don't know what you if, you if you call it hardcore punk, it was just hardcore uh let me just see what the deal is on this guy okay uh by the way, we just got word from uh Yuka's publicist that he's emailing uh, Matt right now. They're all confirmed. I tried uh, tweeting uh, Matt as well. Let me just... uh, By the way, in case you're listening, Matt, the number to call in is 917-388-4131. Again, it's 917-388-4131. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time this has happened, I would have about $20, so... Anyway, this isn't helping with the whole, like, eating healthy thing, because, like, immediately, it's, I'm telling you, fuck, man, it's not the alcohol. Like, obviously, like, I, I want to get sober, so there is some type of problem with the alcohol, but I think I have more of an addiction to food, particularly the nights of the radio shows. What I've been doing for a few months now is, uh, I know I'm getting off topic. I don't know if I'll ever get back on, uh, so thank you for going on this ride with me. Um, lately. I've been getting these Chinese dinners, uh, like, either before the show or after the show, that consist of fried pork dumplings and either sweet and sour chicken, uh, General Tso's chicken, or sesame chicken. Um, I, I haven't really tried anything else, but it's this place. You kind of know how, like, John Lee put it well. Once you start with a Chinese restaurant, that Chinese restaurant is your Chinese restaurant. You can't go to any other place. And this, ki- this place is a little weird, man. They send over, like, a 10-year-old kid all the time. There's got to be some, like, labor laws against that. The fortune cookies are, like, completely demented. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you want to hear some of the fortunes, you can go let's go you know, back to previous episodes of Backstage. We opened the cookies around the beginning of the show. So, um, yeah, I'm getting this severe craving right now for, uh, for the same very unhealthy, very fried, you know, with the pork fried rice and the egg roll and, Very fried, very, very uh, fast foody takeout-type meal. And I was never a Chinese food fan. Always a huge McDonald's and pizza fan, Um, particularly pizza. I still am, like, amazed at how good pizza is. And I'm pretty sure I'm lactose intolerant, but I still continue to eat pizza through the years. So on this diet now that I guess, how long have I been on? It's been uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's been six days. And right now what I'm doing is I can't tell if I'm talking myself into ordering this Chinese or talking myself out of it. But I went into this trying to think that I was talking myself out of it and not into it. But now I feel like it's almost almost here. It's just all I need to do is open an application on my phone. And then, you know, a few clicks later, the 10-year-old boy with the Chinese food is here. Um, By the way, that place needs to get in some trouble with the law. Um, All right, so I was saying before... My friend Jason. He has a friend named Derek. He was in a successful hardcore band. Derek years ago quit that band, and I thought, what a weird thing to do, particularly because I come from the world of acting and theater and stuff, where uh, it, you know you get you, you you take what you get, you take what you can get. Um, but uh, he had his sights on other visions, so he left that band and moved out to California. Uh, a couple times we used this pickup truck to to uh, move our stuff. Um, that's how close they were. Uh, all right, so I have word that the publicist for UCAS sent an email to their record label, um, and he apologizes for the inconvenience. All right. Um, again, right, back to bands um, uh, that I know. So Derek uh, was basically, like, living in California at his old bandmate's place. And it was just a kind of strange situation where he was in a successful group and then he took himself out of it. I didn't understand it. And coming from the, the, the competitive world that I, I had known since I was like 15, because we always were told by our theater teachers, do not do this. If you can see yourself doing anything else, don't do this. Um, so I thought it was crazy for him to leave his band. Um, Particularly when they had success so young, because the dude's about my age, and that was a long time ago. So, um, after leaving California, this dude moved to Brooklyn. He met this girl who was like at a cafe with her mother, and he was like a waiter there. And the girl was a singer, and for some reason, Derek took a liking to her, and they formed this two-person group called Sleigh Bells, and, and, and again, like, when I first heard that name, I was like, oh, what a horrible name. But now I like the name, and um, now they're huge, so it's crazy. And if you go to, like, the Sleigh Bells concert, it's basically, if you're around my age, it's you and your 30-year-old friend and then a swarm of, like, 16-, 17-, 18-year-olds. I wouldn't even go so far as to say that any was 19. I don't think so. I think we were, the, we were the oldest by about by 12 years exactly. Um, and yeah, I've, I've seen them. I mean, they're great. They're very different. It's this thrashing guitar, rock, tech, garage rock slash house slash hip-hop. It's insane. They even played with Nas at one of those festivals like South by Southwest or Coachella or something. I don't know what it was, but um, I don't think it was Coachella uh, and And then Jason texted me today i was uh, I just uh, saw Derek fulfill one of your lifelong fantasies, and I said, "What? he met Brendan Ury? Um, which he probably already has, uh, but he said uh, he Derek played Dave with Paul on piano, meaning they played David Letterman today with uh, Paul Schaefer playing along. Now, one of my dreams has never been Paul playing for me, but I would love it. Um, but to to go on Letterman has always been one of my dreams. More so to be Letterman. And uh, you know, if you go back and listen to our um, anniversary show, our first anniversary show, I kind of got a little taste of what that was like, and it was um, it was nerve wracking, but it was beautiful. So uh, <clears throat> we're still waiting on that on that Yuka band. Um, And uh, you've been listening to me ramble on, so this has been just kind of a stream of consciousness from your host, and God forbid this happens again, because I started somewhere, and I don't know how I got here, Uh, and the notes that I have in front of me make absolutely no sense. Uh, 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 Yeah, no. Most of these notes have nothing to do with anything. Um, But hey, check out Letterman tonight, because sleigh bells are on it, and they've been on SNL, and it's just crazy. Uh, hey, hey, everyone. Did I mention go check out blazingryradio.com and uh, click on the banner at the bottom of the screen that says Buying Razors Sucks, because it does. And for those of you who only listen to this show, the Monday show, you are missing out because on Wednesdays, Blazing Backstage is right now It's the place to be. Um, so check us out Wednesday at 9 p.m., which rather than an interview show... It's more of a conversation between me and a friend. I know after this show, you probably never want to hear that again, but, uh, but it's much different than this. Um, there's a kid that I've always wanted to co-host a show with, John Weeks, that I mentioned before he didn't shower for 20 years or so, um, and we're finally doing it. And uh, I'm so shocked that he agreed to, to do it and that he's still doing it. And, uh, and then the Wizard of Waverly Place, this guy that we know that looks like a wizard who actually does live on Waverly Place, calls in halfway through every show, delivers the Hot mess Awards, and then... All three of us joke off. Um, it's, it's amazing. We, we get lubed up and joke off. Uh, I'm going to play another yucca song um, because I love promoting dudes who don't show up. So this is where my soldier's at. And uh, someone will be right back. Hopefully not me. Is that you,
3: Matt? It is, man. I am so sorry. I apologize so much.
4: It is.
1: It is okay. Um, so just so you know, we have about two minutes, and then i got to bring on the next guest. So, uh, you know, let's act like this interview is a tweet, and just tell me everything you want our listeners to know about your band.
3: I want everybody to know that we're the best band that they've never heard. I am so excited to be able to, you know, start the new year off with a new album, and and uh, this year is going to be a touring album for or a touring year for 2014 for Yucca, and we're just excited to be able to get out uh, to get to the towns and the cities that people want to see us. So if you want to see Yucca in your city and your town, just um, send us a message any way that you can, and we'll do our best to get to you. And uh, thank you so much for supporting Yucca last year and this year, and we look forward to being able to perform for you.
1: Awesome. And uh, what's your band's website?
3: It's yucca.ca,
1: yuca.ca. Okay, great, and you can follow them on Twitter at Yuka Music, um, and we've played a few tracks from the new album. What's the new
3: album called, sir? The new album's called Rebuilding the Fallen Empire.
1: Okay, and uh, in our last minute here, uh, what's, what are kind of some
3: themes on the album? What are, what are some things you wanted to get across? Well I think with this album the thing that's different is that we produced this ourselves. So what we wanted to get across was more of us and more of our hearts and and uh, less of our minds. So this album is just filled with moments that um are extremely heartfelt for us and it's something that we're extremely proud of and very um it, it's a very fun and deep album. It's an album that kind of takes you on a journey with us and and that's the one of the things that we're most excited about is is being able to take you on a journey when you come see us uh live. So so we're we're really excited about rebuilding the fallen empire. And you have tour dates Lined up at the moment? Well, what we're doing is we have... We had an international release of this uh, last year on tour while we're in Japan and in Asia. And then now, actually, just this coming Saturday here in our hometown, we have our CD release uh, kind of launch party for all our hometown fans here in Vancouver. And then from there, they can just stay in touch at yuka.ca Y-U-C-A dot... And we'll be able to list all the tour dates. But this year, we're hoping to kind of hit all the major festivals, so... Oh, great. All right. Yeah. Um, well... Uh, thanks for
1: calling. You know, we'll we'll do a full interview another time. Um, I understand things happen, so it's all good, and, and I'd be happy to have you back, and, and we'll uh, we'll talk about your music some more, sir.
3: Man, I really appreciate it. I am so sorry that I missed that, and I appreciate you supporting Yuka, all of us in the band. Well, I'm actually headed out to rehearsal in about half an hour, so they all say hello and thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it a lot. All
1: right, great. Take care, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. All right. Um, I guess you know, better late than never. Um, and uh, moving on, uh, my next guest work, Mop Town Moon, earned her Baltimore Magazine's award for best tribute album of 2014. Please welcome the brains behind Mobtown Moon, writer and musician Sandy. Oh my God, I have to. San- Asirvatham. Let me see. Did I get
2: that right at all?
0: <laughs> uh, I should have sent you um like a a uh, a pronunciation a sheet thing. or something in advance. It's Aservatham. Oh, Got okay. It? It wasn't <laughs>
2: too <laughs> you, off. you
0: you did it. You Hey, you were game. You did a good it was a good try. <laughs> How you doing, Ryan?
2: So,
1: I am doing all right. How are you doing today?
0: I'm okay. I know it's been a little bit of a weird show for you. In fact, about 20 minutes ago, I almost thought maybe I should just call him and, you know, fill up, <laughs> help him fill up the time. But then you were just going on about Chinese food and dieting, and I was just kind of listening. It was all right. He, he's I don't know fun. what
1: <laughs> I talked about, but thank you for reminding me. That'll, we have to talk about this dieting forever. thing,
0: though. I've got to talk to you about your dieting thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Tell, tell me what's going on there.
0: Well, first of all, all right, are you, are you lifting weights?
1: Uh, I, uh, no weights, but I'm doing the machines.
0: No, don't do machines. Lift weights, lift real weights. Okay. (laughs) That's one thing. Learn how to lift real weights, like squats, push-ups, deadlifts, et cetera. Um, Even though I want
1: to get smaller?
0: um, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, the thing about the Chinese food, I don't know about that, but It's really important once or twice a week to have a planned cheat meal (laughs) for your brain and for resetting your metabolism.
2: Really? Those are my two
0: totally non-musical pieces of advice for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, now I just see you as an enabler.
0: (laughs) No, you have to plan it. You have yeah. to make sure it's discreet, one event, and uh, you know, and then just be done with it, and then go right back.
2: So, right, right. Anyway, All I'm right, well, sorry to
0: distract with that, but I was just—I've no. I've turned Oof. into a little bit of a proselytizer when it comes to uh, to weightlifting and to um, other aspects of, of weight management. Let's just say that uh, I know this territory well. But you that's okay. not why you put me on this show. You put me on this show because <laughs> of this music, right? Weight loss <laughs> and, and
1: uh diet expert, um Sandy Offer Did I get it right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, there you got uh, it. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna launch it. Uh, um, so that's my like fifth career if I if uh <laughs> if I if I so start down that road. Personal tell me trainer, a
1: little bit, now that we've had a conversation as if we've known each other for about ten years. Now yeah. let's get back to the one that we were supposed to have. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up in, in Baltimore?
0: No. I am um, from primarily from New Jersey uh, okay. and a former New Yorker. I never lived All in Brooklyn. It. I lived in uh, Gramercy Park neighborhood for a long time. I went to Columbia uh, for undergraduate and graduate school many years ago. And I miss New York every day. But um, Baltimore, we came down here almost – I'm going to say 18 years ago, and uh, somehow it has sucked us in. It's a really interesting... Do you know this town at all?
1: I don't. I have a ton of friends from there, but I've never been there myself.
0: It's um, it's a little bit like um, Hoboken-ish and a little bit... Okay. Um, or Jersey City. Um, it's... Um, a little uh, hold on my son is holding up yes i am on the radio right now thank you <laughs> all right go um it's a little it's it's uh gritty and blue collar in its roots um mm-hmm. but it's kind of over the years become um and it's got and and it's southern too in both interesting in interesting and sometimes um negative ways i mean it's southern and northern um it was the city that uh, that Frederick Douglass had to escape slavery from, so it really, you right. know, it was south of the Mason-Dixon line at that time. But um, so it's, it retains some Southernisms, and but it's got also like the industrial East Coast uh, grittiness to it, and then the art scene uh, is really phenomenally uh fertile and interesting in a way that um even though I absolutely adore New York and I lived there in the 80s and early 90s I don't think New York can support that in the same way anymore I mean Brooklyn even I mean where are you exactly it's even Brooklyn's kind of unaffordable you know and uh <laughs> Yeah
1: um, I mean Sunset Park it's uh, oh, yeah it's yeah that's slope. pretty nice yeah.
0: out there but you know it's like it's just, it's it's very, very hard. I think uh, David Byrne recently wrote some article that got a lot of, uh, you know, pro and con response about <laughs> how, you know, as Manhattan's become a much wealthier place, and all of New York City, really, um, it's pricing out um, some of the things that made it great, which is the ability for artists to go and, and uh, try out a lot of things. And, you know, it's yeah. become in some ways very... Um, Establishment, and that's not, I don't mean to, these are, I'm painting with really broad brush because I have a lot of friends who do a lot of very cool things who live in New York, but anyway, to get back to this town and me, I just happened to land here, and I think, um, and, you know, and it kind of stuck, and it's a a very communal place, and so that's a large part of what uh, went into the thinking of this project called Mob Town Moon. Um, um, Yeah, go ahead.
1: So, so I'm assuming that you were you got into writing and music prior to moving to Baltimore.
0: Then I was primarily a writer before I moved to Baltimore. I um, I have an MFA from in fiction writing from Columbia and was I published a couple short stories in small magazines. Um, never really got a novel together. Started many and finished none and got a fairly successful freelance journalism career going um, and then moved down here and continued to write and write and actually was a fairly late bloomer as a musician. I'd always done musical things. I'd done a lot of singing. I'd played piano a little bit. I'd been like, you know, uh, probably similar to things you've done, you know, I was kind of like a glee kid, you know, I was musical theater and acted in shows and stuff and, But I had let all that go by the wayside, and then in my late 20s, it kind of came back to haunt me a little bit that I had stopped performing, and uh, to make a a very complicated story kind of short, I uh, was procrastinating on my book, and other things weren't going so well in my life, and I... Um, I just started obsessively practicing piano and um, looking into. I, I, it was kind of like, huh, I wonder what jazz piano is about. I've always been kind of curious about that. And then, <clears throat> you know, four, five years later, I was gigging. You know, it was that
2: it was it was very
0: sudden and uh, sort of to- total obsession for a while. It it, uh, threw my husband for a loop, that was for sure. (laughs) He was like, wait, I married a writer, a person who Uh stays at home and writes. (laughs) What are you doing (laughs) with that equipment? And now you have to go out and see your shows. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so, so things have kind of mellowed uh, out since then. I I didn't go whole hog for the, um, you know, turning my life completely upside down and uh, become a, uh, you know, 100% jazz. A uh, person who uh, you know is playing five nights a week and and uh, traveling all over the place for fifty dollar gigs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but instead, over time, what's happened is I've been able to. I think this is also one of the nice things about being in a kind of off the beaten path place like Baltimore, is that uh, you can kind of. I, I know plenty of very career minded artists, but. Um, I've been pretty much a follower of whims, so I wrote a column in the Baltimore City paper for five or six years, and and I was like, eh, you know, I'm tired of hearing myself talk, I'm going to do something else, and then (laughs) I made a record of original songs, and then I gigged some on that, and I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of promotion, so essentially did nothing, but... You know, it helped. It gave me a little bit more, a boost uh, locally. And then, then really didn't do much of anything um, uh, noteworthy. I've I been, I was sort of procrastinating on putting together a second album, even though I have a lot more original songs, um, because I hadn't made the money back on the first one yet, you know, and it didn't look like I had any way of doing so. So. <laughs> Uh, Mob Town Moon ha- so have you you've listened to the whole album, right? Have you or just check checked yeah. out certain tracks or what it, have you been doing? I,
1: I have checked out some tracks and, and it is uh deeply interesting. It is beautiful. Um what what made you wanna pay tribute to this uh this classic album, Dark Side of the, the Moon forty years later?
0: Well, um to 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 uh, get back to the theme of, of exercise and weight loss <laughs> I was um <laughs> I was spending a lot of time on the treadmill at the gym. I actually was getting ready to do, and I did ultimately the um, a uh, sprint triathlon. And uh, oh. you gotta you gotta spend tons of time just just building up your cardio. Style. Uh, Endurance, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's boring as all get out. And so I was remembering all the great albums I remembered from childhood that were really albums that you could really just listen every single track beginning to end, uh, you know, beautiful and carrying you right through. And um, not a lot of artists still do that kind of thing. You know, there's still you still get the feeling that well, and now people don't even make whole art uh, whole albums; they make EPs or they just release singles but uh so this was one of the ones that I wanted to revisit and I fell into it really deeply I just wanted to listen to it over and over again um almost more um intensely than I did um back in the 70s and the 80s and uh and because I come out of a jazz background, it's very common for us to take material that is familiar and mess with it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what jazz musicians do. It's not as well understood or known in the rock world, but um, so, so, you know, you've, you've been thankful, you know, thank you again for having me on, but really it's, it's two, oh. of, two of us because it's Ellen Cherry, my, my friend uh, who became my co-producer on this, mm-hmm. um, you know, we both you know she comes out of the indie singer-songwriter scene and she is the she is what I'm not she's the full-blown touring uh indie musician who's put out I think 6 CDs in the last 15 years that kind of thing and <laughs> um together and she just loved the idea so much that we 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 partnered on it and she uh she just knows a lot of more about the studio process and we put our heads together but so much of it from my perspective was I have no interest in being yet another Pink Floyd cover band. You know, I, there are <laughs> people do that. That's fine. It's good. They they have fun, they make money, yeah. it, you know, uh, audiences love it, especially if they didn't ever get to see the live, um, Floyd when they were all together. Um, but for me, it was about, Responding musically with my own musical uh you know and reinterpretation I guess is the word we keep using so um, you know it was and and I only had an inkling of what those sounds would be um, when we started talking this thing up and trying to fundraise for it and putting it all together but I just had this feeling that the that the songs the the lyrics and the melodies and the harmonies live so deeply in my memory and are so um, sturdy and interesting in their own right that I could do something interesting with them and it would feel like even if it was very much a departure from the original track, it would feel you know like an honorable thing and not not a um, a parody or you know like we had no. Interest in trying to be subversive We were really just honestly Showering our love on this record so <laughs> yeah. As corny as that might Sound
1: <laughs> yeah, You mentioned your collaborator uh, Ellen, Cherry. how did you guys meet?
0: Um, let me think Oh I think we were asked, I think we played A benefit, like a cancer Benefit together um, You know, some some kind of Non-profit event uh, Years ago And um, and then we were sort of, you know, we don't, Baltimore is a, it's a really small town and a really small musical community. So I think we probably just ran into each other here and there. And then I actually was running, producing a, uh outdoor concert series in my neighborhood and mm-hmm. I hired her as one of the acts and it was during a conversation about her upcoming show that I mentioned this, this uh, tour. So we were, we were friendly, but we weren't really good friends before we got involved together on this project. And that Mm -hmm. has been really interesting. And um, we were extremely different people. It's just, you know, bands get together and break up all the time. And, you know, it's obvious why, because personalities are so distinct and everybody has different agendas and it's hard to really, you know, it's it's just hard to accommodate everybody's desires. But uh somehow the two of us managed to um you know keep our eye on the prize and, and we really had a really good working partnership. But beyond the two of us, I think you may have seen we recruited we're not really a band. We recruited um there were essentially like thirty solid thirty thirty musicians on the C D plus <laughs> a ten kid Choir, <laughs> uh, children's <laughs> choir for the last track. But there are five different um, drummers, depending on the track. Like uh, what, This is, goes back to the community thing about Baltimore. We just really wanted to um, hire as many of our friends and colleagues and people we knew and respected um, by reputation and see how we could um, organically fit them into these arrangements. So, We've got jazz people on there and rock people and an opera singer and uh, some hip hop guys and uh, some classical musicians playing background figures, you know, on strings or bassoon, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, the the nothing like this had ever really been done in, in Baltimore as far as we know. And in some cases there were like university professors at the three different major music programs here in town and you know they've never met or crossed paths you know even though they their offices might be five miles away from each other so that kind of connecting up of people um and uh building and i I, we can see already that there are uh, new partnerships and new projects that are being um Formed uh, out of the people who met each other through Mobtown Moon, so that's this cool. That was part of our mission, and it's cool to see it. Did any of them
1: that agreed? Did did it surprise you? Um, Did any of them that agreed to do it surprise you with their agreement to do it?
0: Well,
2: some, yeah, because Mm -hmm. I I think
0: I think I was a little. I I think I underestimated the power of the Floyd. You know, I mean, everybody knows them. Uh, every once in a while you come across somebody like a, a if you come across a very, very purist conservatory trained classical musician, they might say pink who, you know, but uh-huh. almost everybody else in the world <laughs> knows who Pink Floyd is at least has heard some of the songs. Not everybody knew the record, um, uh, you know, front to back the way I did, but, um, uh, everybody had this certain amount of respect and they and they just thought the idea was cool. So I, in the first couple of recruitment phone calls, I, I'm i sure I sounded a little bit apologetic and, you know, with the little curly question mark at the end of every sentence and all that. And I'm sure I felt a little bit, well, part of it is I, I was worried that people would think it was somehow cheesy or beneath them. Um, and instead, everybody was like, this sounds like the coolest thing. And Sure, I, I want to do it. And then, um, I mean, there were a couple people who just didn't call back and or or said no to us. But um, n- almost everybody we asked uh, was just deeply enthusiastic about it. And then we started getting people like you know clamoring to be included, and we had to we had to draw the line somewhere just because you know it's actually a pretty short album. <laughs>
2: there aren't that uh-huh. many tracks to
0: fill, so. um right. A, 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 to which everybody's been responding. Well, I guess you guys are just going to have to do the wall next. So like uh, bring bring 100 <laughs> musicians in. I'm like, "All right, let me please recover." You first. think you're going to do that? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I, I have ideas about follow-up, but I also hate being predictable. So, you know, the more <laughs> often I hear that as the next idea, the less likely I am to do it. So we'll see.
2: <laughs> if I could that might be a really childish
0: a re- way of behaving, but what you say? I'm sorry. I could
1: suggest a reinterpretation of an album, uh, a classic album, I, I would love it if, if you guys did a reinterpretation of uh, TP2.com by R. Kelly circa 2000.
0: <laughs> I am just old enough to not know a single track, and also I do not have very good feelings about Mr. R. Kelly. So,
2: <laughs> <All right>. fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, let's not so, go down that
0: road because I will go on to a very long feminist screed that you probably don't want to hear right now.
1: Another time. And he's my favorite artist too, so I really probably will have to like defend him, and I don't want to because obviously I'll lose.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. You. You probably will. Yes. Let's let. us let us just <laughs> um, table that and move on.
1: <laughs> so, on this town Moon, you've included jazz, classical music, choral music, bluegrass, hip hop, rock. Did you ever get busy working with all these genres?
0: You know, weirdly, no. Um, I think partly because. Well, I mean, I was dizzy anyway. Everything happened. So the basic timeline was we started talking about it three years ago. We did a couple of tracks as what we thought would be demos, but they turned out so beautifully that we just kept them. Um, Breathe is one of them and then uh and then we fundraised like crazy f- among individual donors and then uh, grant makers as well because we knew we had this sort of community mission and there were organizations around town foundations that would probably throw in a few few thousand dollars here and there and that's exactly how it worked out but it's funny i was saying i've been saying this to people that it's only in retrospect that i realize it was almost like um being a entrepreneur with a new business idea and trying to sell it to venture capitalists, we were talking about it before it existed. We were talking about it like it was going to be the greatest thing ever. And we had two tracks, you know,
2: <laughs> like it was, it, in,
0: I, I cannot believe in retrospect, I cannot believe. And I don't even really understand where I got the balls to, to be like that. Cause it's not my, I'm confident, but I'm usually not that for forward, you know? So, <laughs> It, at the end so at the end of the day what and then we were really shooting to try to have the release sometime in the spring of this past year 2013 because that was the 40th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon and uh, I knew we weren't going to make March uh, which is the actual US and UK release but uh, we we ended up making May which which was within the window that made me happy so right. we did almost all the recording between August and November. And uh like I said, you know, 50, 40 different people to coordinate and schedules and um we were doing all of it. There was no, you know, it was me and Ellen. We were I, I'm the bookkeeper. <laughs> i I'm, you know, I'm like checking the funds and looking at the timeline and figuring out who we have to pay. And I'm also making the phone calls when um, somebody tells me that they got a last-minute gig for $500 and they need to reschedule rehearsal and, you know, Mm -hmm. all that kind of herding of cats that's involved with artists, you know. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, And then at the same time, I would be rushing home at night writing string parts. And, um, And I did, I would say, like, 85 to 90% of it is actually like really from my brain that way and then some of it was um i some of it was Ellen Cherry did one track uh, entirely by herself and i and she did an incredible job with it i'm so ha- i was so happy at that point because I, I was starting to burn out but um i think i just have had such a weird listening and um in a lot of cases amateur musical exp- uh, very you know, amateur musical experiences before I started calling myself a professional that were all over the place. So like that little bit of choral Gregorian chants that you hear in the very beginning, I don't know if you listen to track two, I I sang in a group that did that kind of music, you know, so it sort of popped into my head at that point. And, um, you know, jazz, and I'm a jazz player, but I've been listening to rock and roll and, and prog rock, especially, all my life. So some of those that sensibility wasn't foreign to me, but I don't, I don't know that there's anybody else that really has as many different kinds of, I mean, I'm not extremely skilled. I'm not, uh, up at the level of the, um, you know, the Hollywood, uh, composers who can, who are masters of 20 different styles, but for somebody who's essentially a self-taught composer, right. I I I have learned about myself that I know a hell of a lot about all these different things. Like we right. one of our tracks is essentially a gospel-ish in the in its roots, and I just spent a day listening to gospel piano players and then I was like, okay, so here's my take on it, you know. It was really fun. <laughs> I, I I somehow there's something about this project that was magical enough to override what, you know, I don't remember the word you used, but whatever lack of confidence or, or anxiety or um, whatever that, you know, a normal human being might have
2: experienced (laughs)
0: trying to corral all these different styles. But then, you know, I should also just say that the people we work with are so professional and so cool. And everybody, you know, we pushed people a little bit outside of their comfort zone in a lot of cases. And they just, you know, everybody was just so trusting, like they brought their own um, thing, their own uh, ability and their experience and their ideas, but they also were very um, amenable to whatever we suggested, and uh, it it was really cool. In fact, considering how many sessions we did, there was only one where one single musician out of that whole crew where... It was a bit of a tussle trying to get him to understand what we were asking of him. Everybody <laughs> else just came in and just got it, you know. It was yeah. it, it was so cool. And um <laughs> I don't know. Do you I'm know not, who he I, is?
2: Would he no. hear that like, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Um No. Uh and you probably you might not, but um <laughs> I mean these are guys a lot of, these are like working Baltimore musicians. Some of them have a, a name beyond our shores here. Uh, the guy who sings "Money," um, Chris Jacobs, he was in a fairly big jam band called The Bridge that uh, was touring nationally for ten years, and they disbanded a little while ago. And as soon as I found out that he was retiring from touring, I gave him a call and said, "You have to sing this track," and he did a great job. And um, I don't know, are we going to listen to anything? Am I just going because yeah, I will talk the, your ear off, obviously. Yes, no, definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we'll we'll play a track in just a moment. Um, I, I'm just curious in terms. Well, first off, I'm curious. Uh, do you feel less cool than Ellen Cherry because your name isn't spelled with all lowercase letters? <laughs>
0: We get on our case about that. Um, uh, no, I do not feel okay. less cool than Ellen Cherry because because of that. I mean, I might maybe for other reasons. <laughs>
1: but no,
2: not and that. And then,
1: like the actual like, why did this album speak to you? Uh, Dark. Your bio says that Dark Side of the Moon had themes of mortality, scarcity, conflict, madness. What? Why? Um, is this album so important to you
0: to go no, and do really this whole project and, on it? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you could ask a lot of people this question and they would kind of come to around the same, they, they would probably say similar things, but so 2009 was when I was doing this <clears throat> triathlon training and, uh, I was essentially for a couple of months, uh, I was just – let's say say I was very underemployed because my previous um, freelance journalism outlets, many of them had gone out of business. A lot of my um, – a lot of the work that I was doing at that time came from a magazine called Chronicle of Philanthropy, and when the Bernie Madoff scandal hit, like, they – you know, there were all these foundations that just lost money, and so the nonprofit world was reeling and then the the housing market collapsed and um, there was this just real dark pessimism about america's place in the world and then on top of that we've been at war for so many years and I had really strong and unhappy uh, feelings about that and uh, and and you know when you're not um, just busy, really, really busy, you know, paying your bills and making a living, it's kind of easy to get depressed by that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so I, I was I, I, to to listen to this album now and to hear how I mean, a friend of mine put it really well. He's like, some of it's, um, some of the lyrics are shockingly naive and some of it is incredibly sort of sophisticated and moving in terms of it's the way it dramatizes the same shit that happens generation after generation Uh, just war and, uh, and other heartbreaks of the human condition. And so for me to be kind of mired, not just in my own personal stuff, but thinking about the larger things that are going on in the country and the world and feeling very pessimistic about the future and then to listen to this 40-year-old album and hear Roger Waters' thoughts that so encapsulate, you know, uh, feelings of futility, of of uh, you know time running out, of uh, scarcity, and and all the other themes that are in there, uh, and just that um, also, uh, you know, that that the inmates are running the asylum. I think that was a really strong feeling I had at that time that, you know, the people who had brought us to uh, wars the people who are running the economy that they're all just lunatics <laughs> you know and um, that we're at the at, we're kind of at the mercy of of some extremely dysfunctional individuals who happen to have a lot of power and yep. that's very much a part of the original album and you're like well You know, this is nothing new then, you know, and there's a weird kind of comfort there. Like, you're like, oh, okay, this is just what it means to be alive, (laughs) (laughs) as dark as that is, you know. So I I think the fact that it speaks, you know, certain art speaks through the generations like this. Um, And uh, even if the message is very pessimistic and very dark, it can be a comfort. Okay.
1: Um, well, uh, Sandy, I'm going to tell you what I have ready to ready to go, and you tell me which song you want to talk about, and we'll play that one. So I have uh, Brain Damage, uh, Breathe, Money, and Us and Them. So we probably have time to play about one of them. So uh, just it's up to you.
0: Well, since we were just talking about Lunatics, let's do Brain Damage. Um, okay it's um and this is the one I was talking about it has a, has kind of a gospel thing going on because um this woman, our friend uh, Leah Gilmore, who is a blues and gospel singer here in town and she tours the world and she's also an activist for many um, important social causes and uh we just loved her and we wanted her in this in the in the um in the in the in the project and uh so I, I set this arrangement around her vibe, her thing. But mm-hmm. then um, toward the end, well, I don't want to say anything more about it. Um, I kind of, okay. I don't know. It's just probably my favorite arrangement and uh, it's definitely a departure from the original. So cool. So go for it.
1: <laughs> All right. This is from Moptown Moon Brain Damage and we'll be right back with Sandy osler
4: Make the change You rearrange me till I'm safe You lock the door And throw away the key There's someone in my head But it's not
0: can get it directly from us on uh, Bandcamp page, but um, you know we're all the usual places to iTunes and Amazon and stuff. But anybody who knows how this game works knows that um, if you come right to our website, we will actually be able to retain the most um, from your purchase. And um, I do the mail-outs, and I'm really responsible and timely, so... Come to me.
2: Nice.
1: <laughs> and you can follow the project on Twitter at Moptown Moon, and you can follow Sandy at Sandy Osservotham. Awesome. Now, if you can spell it, that's, you know. You
0: prize. <laughs> I've been told by a couple of people that I should have gone by Sandy A a long time ago, but I don't know. It just sounded <laughs> oh, too no. yes, yes. young.
2: <laughs>
1: too late, yes. um, Well, we've learned about, in this interview, about weightlifting, diet, yes. uh, Geography, urban sociology, and I
2: think
1: music as well.
0: <laughs> no, you have to cu- let me come back on, and I'm going to just give you. I'm going to give you a weights program. I'm going to start you on a six-week period, um, starting with some um, with push-ups and yeah, yeah. We got to get you. Please we got to get you moving, Ryan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am right, like good luck,
0: man. Moving. Well, thank you again. I'm so honored that you had us on and um, oh, and that you played the track.
1: Anytime, you're welcome back. Anytime, Um, and uh, 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 as I was saying, I have been doing cardio, but but you're you're very into the weights, huh?
2: There,
0: uh, seriously, if you get me started on this, we'll be on another hour. But (laughs) the long and short of it is,
1: yes, we have five minutes.
0: Muscle takes up less space than fat. Um, As we get older, we have to not just work hard to retain muscle uh, mass, but um, you also have to do things, uh, resistance, weight-bearing exercises to maintain your bone density so that you're not a stooped over old guy 40 years from now who falls and breaks a hip. That's one one goal. Um, I know that's not as like it's harder to keep in mind than like trying to be slightly hotter next month, but um, but that's an important one though too. Um, and uh, and then the other thing too is that when you are the higher your muscle mass. Uh, the higher your metabolism, so you can actually get away with eating more ultimately if you are uh, fairly muscular and uh, and you and you retain your shape better and all sorts of things i mean there 's also just a level of um, there 's just a really profound level of fitness that has to do with strength, and you're never going to get that kind of strength unless you pick up heavy things and put them down. Sorry to sound (laughs) like Schwarzenegger. I know, I know, isn't it? I know you're you're laughing, but but seriously, I'm totally serious. And If you want, offline sometime, I'll send you a couple of links, a little bit of information. But really, when it comes to dieting, I think it's one of the things that people um, mistake. They don't understand. Like They do tons and tons of cardio. Um, And they don't, I mean, cardio is important and boosting your metabolism that way and burning calories is important, but you also want to be building uh, muscle mass and uh, it doesn't have to be really complicated. I'm kind of only half joking about the squats and stuff, but, um, (laughs) and if you're using machines, if you're using like what, like uh, Nautilus or something, or are you using (laughs) some resistance machines?
1: Yeah, you know, like the the pull downs and the assisted pull-ups and all that, yeah.
0: Well, are you good about tracking everything and making sure you're increasing your weights on a regular basis or doing more or doing harder sets, or because yeah, I
1: do try I do try to increase it, yeah, you know, each time I go back,
0: yeah, well, what will happen at a certain point is that you'll essentially max out the usefulness of those machines, and uh-huh. um, the other thing too is that they're 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 good, they're better than nothing, and they're good if you're beginning, but ultimately doing. <laughs> Large motions like traditional squats, traditional deadlifts, um, traditional bench press, all that stuff. If you have to stabilize your own body, um, you are using a lot more than just the single little muscle group that the isolation machine is making you work. So you get a lot more. I mean, you could do nothing but squats and bench press and see a huge amount of improvement over and above what you could do with those 10 machines on the circuit. So um but but seriously I I it's like a it's become this other passion for me to understand this. Yeah, not enough people it. know about it and we kind of like do the <laughs> same things over and over again. I mean you're talking to somebody who has been through every diet. I mean back in the 80s <laughs> I did one of those Oprah liquid diets and you know I, I've struggled with this stuff. So the only thing that has long the only thing that's really worked for me long-term is to make sure that I stay very strong and then I can get mm-hmm. away with a little Chinese food here and there.
1: So, <laughs> okay. Not- well, I'm going to go try not to order some, uh, com. <laughs> Sandy, thank you so much for coming on the program.
0: Thank you, Ryan. Have a good night.
1: Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, I'll see everyone later. We got uh, 12 seconds left. So, um, If it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. Check out Blazing Ride backstage on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Good night, everyone.